Hey, everybody. Uh, hope you're enjoying Global Supply Chain Week. Uh, my name is Greg Miller. Uh, I'm a senior editor with FreightWaves and American Shipper. Uh, and today I'm joined all the way from Copenhagen by uh, Lars Jensen of Vespucci Maritime, uh, is widely considered to be one of the top experts on container shipping in the world. Uh, Lars, it's, it's always great to talk to you. Uh, thanks for being with us. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so many things going on right now. Uh, the container shipping industry is just coming off, uh, you know, the biggest peak it's ever had in its entire history. So um, there are a lot of changes going on, and I want to start with one that's been in the news recently. Uh, Maersk and, and MSC, uh, the two largest container lines in, in the world, have announced that they are going to uh, discontinue uh, the 2M alliance in January 2025. Uh, 2M is one of the big three east-west shipping alliances. Uh, now, Lars, uh, you have been uh, predicting this for, for quite some time, many months. And I, so I wanted to get your opinion. Um, why do you think this happened? Uh, and, and how long, uh, if you could speculate, do you think this has actually been in the works? I mean, uh, for, for me, it's the inev inevitable uh, endpoint of Musk and MSC having chosen very different strategic directions in recent years. As long as you had a boom market, nobody wants to rock the boat. It was a matter of how do you make as much money as possible during the boom market. Now the boom market is over. We're back to business as usual. And then the strategic differences boil up to the surface. And I don't think this is a spur-of-the-moment decision. This would likely have been in the works also for months and months, if not even longer than that, the, the quiet realization that 2M has an end date. And you can say, yeah, they're, they're formally announcing this is going to end in January 25 because according to the agreement document, they need to give two years of lead time. Realistically, I think this is going to happen sooner than that. Uh, to, to me, it's almost like you have – two parties here who have agreed to divorce and say, by the way, we're going to divorce, but not until two years down the line. They're going to go out and find other friends already during 2023. And this is going to be a gradual dissolution uh, that, that, that we'll see play out. Right. So, I mean, looking from the point of view of customers, especially if you were, uh, you know, have a long-term multi-year contract with someone like Maersk, this is on the East-West trades. This is obviously something you're going to be focused on. Um, you know, when you look at the two carriers, MSC has been buying ships in the secondhand market like crazy since August of 2020. Uh, and they have the, by far the largest new build order book. So the speculation is that, you know, MSC, if they add a couple of vessel sharing agreements and slot sharing agreements, it seems like people are confident that they can stand on their own. Uh, whereas Maersk, uh, has not really increased its fleet size over the last three years at all. Uh, and they have a very limited order book. And there's a lot more uh, sort of questions about um, whether they can do it. Um, I just saw a quote in Alpha Liner that they have said that they are not going to seek uh, another alliance partner. But, you know, what do you think about, you know, the prospects of MSC and separately Maersk in, in, in being able to go it alone without becoming a part of some, you know, actual official new alliance? Yeah, I mean, on, on the part of MSC, I think that's the relatively easy part because I see that as being one of the reasons for, for the breakup. But MSC, the way I see it, is aiming to get to a point where they really don't have to have an alliance at all. That gives them more flexibility, more autonomy. They're not quite there yet. I mean, they need to have this massive order book delivered here during 23 and 24. 
which is partly why fine you still have the two M alliance, and I also expect to to potentially see MSC have a few ad hoc slot swap agreements here and there until they bridge that gap. But eventually, you're going to see mainly a standalone MSC. Most, on the other hand, they're clearly pursuing their logistics strategy. And here's where Musk is going to have a challenge, because on one hand, what they want to do is provide a wide logistics product. That requires a lot of weekly services, which physically they're not going to have because they have a much smaller fleet. Are they not, I know they're saying they're not going to go out to go into a new alliance, but then again, these are shades of gray. You may say you're not in an alliance, but I would fully expect Musk to pursue quite a number of different also vessel sharing agreements, slot charter agreements with other partners to give them that range on the network. And I expect to see this cascade over to the two other alliances where the other carriers will be sitting in the headquarters right now, also contemplating, am I in the right alliance right now? Or is this the time to shake things up? And I think the answer is going to be, it's the time to shake things up. So 2M is just the first domino to fall here during 23 into 24 we're likely going to see the other alliances become reshaped as well because now the carriers find it's the right time. Also, in very, very broad strokes, I mean, by 2025, 2M will have turned 10 years of age. So now we're at the eight-year mark. The other alliances also six, seven, eight years, depending on how you count. And if you look back, you also had a period in the decade prior to 2M where you also had a fairly stable alliance set up where you also had the well-known alliances back then of Grand Alliance, New World Alliance, CKYH, and what their names were. And they also lasted six, eight, nine years, depending on how you count. Then you had a couple of tumultuous years, and then everything settled down. It's the same phase we're going to go through now. Yeah, I mean, looking at the other two alliances, uh, the alliance, uh, uh, I see it scheduled through 2030, Hapag Lloyd, Wan Yangming, HMM, Ocean Alliance uh, scheduled through 2027, Costco, including OOCL, Evergreen, CMA, CGM. Um, you know, there's been some speculation that if uh, Maersk was to find another partner, given its size, that the most likely person, uh, the most likely carrier would be uh, CMA. Um, you know, if that were to happen or if, uh, you know, there were to be no additional alliance with Maersk, but your other alliances were to somehow break up. You know, how do those dates work? I mean, it, how, how firm are those commitments to 2030 or 2027? And, and how has that worked in the past? Is it the case where uh, the alliances can just split up and then you just have to get new uh, regulatory approval? I mean, what, what's your thoughts on, on how that works? Yeah, I mean, the, the way I see that one is, I mean, these agreements are in there to basically protect alliance partners. If you're three carriers in an alliance, the one thing you don't want to see is one partner jump ship from one day to the next because it will have a huge impact on the other partners. But if you're three signatories to an agreement and all three signatories then agree to do something different, then of course you can agree on an earlier date than what is written on that piece of paper, which to me also means that uh, I, I don't think anybody should bet the farm that these are going to absolutely run to 27 or to 2030. Or for that matter, where I also started this, I don't see 2M effectively operate as 2M until January 25 and then suddenly dissolve. It's going to be a gradual dissolution basically starting already now. All right. So one more question on alliances before we move on. Um, you know, from the point of view of the cargo shippers, then there's been 
there was a lot of talk during the boom that alliances were somehow responsible for the uh, for the increase of rates, which uh, you know uh, the evidence seems contrary to that, given what's happened with rates since then. But um, you know, there's people are looking at the you know the breakup of 2M and thinking, oh, maybe MSC will go for market share and speculating, what have you. But what do you think, uh, you know, practically speaking, which what should shippers be expecting from the uh, as in terms of the effect on the price they pay? from uh, the shakeup and the alliances that you see happening? Uh, f- first of all, I would caution shippers not to focus on alliance versus non-alliance as a link into whether rates are high or low. I, I don't see very much of a link uh, between those two. As you were also alluding to, the extremely high rates that we saw had nothing to do with alliances or non-alliances, but everything to do with physical unavailability of vessels due to congestion. What shippers should then be expecting, at least that is my expectation, is in the very short term here, 2023, you're going to see increased competitive pressure between some of the carriers. Because when you have the whole setup in some sort of turmoil, you're going to have a couple of carriers, notably MSC and Costco, that are likely going to be the ones most to pursue market share. That will cause somewhat of a downright uh, spiral on rate levels out there, at least for some of the carriers. But also be mindful this is a temporary period. Once you then get on the other side of this, likely during 2024, the market will settle down again. My expectation is a standalone MSC and then potentially three new alliances. So we're going to end up in the same thing. And and maybe also to add, I know that was not in your question, but to add, I have over the years come across sometimes the, the notion that at a headline level sounds intuitively right. The headline level B, if you ban the alliances, you would have more competition. And it sounds logical. Instead of three alliances, you have nine carriers. But if you go beneath the hood on that, what you find is the exact opposite. Because what the alliances do is they provide that broad network. Uh, If you were to force most carriers to operate alone, in many cases, that would mean I might have, say, one Asia-Europe service per week. And rest assured, they would all do a service doing something like Shanghai to Hong Kong to Singapore to Rotterdam. So if you're shipping Shanghai to Rotterdam, excellent, you get more competition. But if you're shipping, say, Tianjin to Felixstowe, or if you are shipping from Vietnam to to Antwerp, you are out of luck. You are unlikely to get a direct service anymore. Or more to the point, instead of having three competitors, the three alliances on your port port, you might find there's only one of the carriers doing exactly that. So if you sit down and look at network dynamics, splitting up the alliances and only having standalone carriers is to the detriment of the cargo owners out there. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to another big topic here, which is uh, uh, new capacity. Um, you know, the, the carriers made a ton of money during the boom. Uh, so they spent a lot of money uh, ordering new ships and, and chartering ships from other people that order ships. Uh, and so we have uh, an order book that on a on a on an absolute TEU, TEU basis is the largest it's ever been, and it's uh, just under thirty percent uh, of the tonnage of the on the water fleet. Most of it is coming, uh, you know, towards the end of this year and next year. So in one giant wave. Um, and you know, before he left his job, uh, the ex CEO of Maersk, Soren Sku, has said uh, on a couple of conference calls last year, it doesn't matter how much capacity exists in the world. What matters is the capacity that we have in service. So the idea being capacity management, 
um, you know, blanking sailings, adjusting capacity to the demand. Um, you know, they've learned their lesson in the past. They showed in the second quarter of 2020 at the height of the COVID lockdowns that they were able to do this very, very well. Um, and so the idea being that we're just going to see that uh, again. And the counter argument would be that in the second quarter of 2020, it was really a dire sentiment out there and carriers were not in a, you know, a strong position that they are now. We didn't know what was going to happen. And w- what's happening now is that the carriers are flush with cash. So, you know, one idea is that maybe they're not going to be quite as, as aggressive or quite as quick. And, you know, some people have, have thought looking at the market now that they, they haven't come out uh, the gate quite fast enough on this capacity management this time around. But I mean, I want, you know, what, what's your view when you look at this vast amount of new build capacity that's coming online? Uh, and do you think that the carriers are going to follow the playbook from the second quarter of 2020 uh, and, and do this right? Um, to some degree, yes, they are, they're clearly not as aggressive as they were in uh, 2020. And I think part of that goes back to what we talked about before. There is increased competitive pressure right now between the carriers because they are trying to position themselves for a future with new alliance setups. So, so that's part of putting a dampener on the carrier's ability to it. But yes, it is a tool the carriers have become much better at using. And, and I expect them to use that tool as well. You see here, the immediate aftermath right now of Chinese New Year has seen a dramatic increase in the amount of blank sailings, likely not quite enough given just how much the market has collapsed, but definitely substantial. And I expect to see much more of that in, in the next months uh, ahead. So from that perspective, I think the carriers have indeed learned the lesson. The question here is not, uh, I mean, the, the market has come down now. We always knew it would. And if by the carriers having learned the lesson being they would never have a price war, no, that's not a lesson anybody's ever going to learn uh, because that's not the right lesson to learn. You might always have a carrier that find it in their own advantage to grow. And of course, they will pursue that. So the carriers having learned the lesson doesn't mean you will never see price wars ever in the future, but it means that the chance that these price wars happen and the duration of them are likely going to be shorter than what we were used to in the past. I mean, the way I look at it was prior to the consolidation of the market, the normal state of affairs was a price war most of the time. And on a few festive events, the carriers would make money. Sustainably going forward, the balance between these two are going to be changed. That doesn't mean we're going to see rates go back up to 2021, 22 levels. That was a historical aberration. We are highly unlikely to see that again. But the carriers have learned the lesson. But the lesson is not that you can avoid price wars at all points in time. Right. So, I mean, the the blank sailing is really sort of, uh, you know, one tool in the toolbox for capacity management. Uh, you know, there's also scrapping. There's been virtually no scrapping in the last couple of years, obviously. So a lot of older ships out there. Uh, and there's been there's been a start of some scrapping in the last you know month or so, but I haven't seen a, a deluge of scrapping yet. Um, you know, there's the idea there's slow steaming, uh, and and ships are are sailing slower. And there's this idea that uh, uh, you you know new builds uh, can, deliveries can be pushed off, so you can sort of smooth the flow there. But when you add up all of this, uh, the blank sailings, the scrapping, um, you know, the delivery delay, you know, some people are saying okay. There is a path through this minefield and the carriers can avoid disaster when you look at this order book. Do you think when you add all this up that there's any way they can avoid a situation of severe overcapacity over the next couple of years? 
Short answer is no. I mean, reality is this is a cyclical industry. And uh, if we just forget about the pandemic, let's look at where we were at the end of 2019. Most of the headlines back then was about the historically low order book of the container carriers. So if we, in the hypothetical where the pandemic never happened, you would have seen an incredibly strong market in 2020, 21 and 22 because of that very, very low order book. You would go into a normal cyclical upturn. And as always happens, once you then reach the apex of that upturn, carriers make money, they order more ships, it takes a couple of years to get them. So what we're seeing now is where we would have ended up anyhow, irrespective of the pandemic, in a regular cyclical downturn. So so we should also be mindful of that. And again, this is one of those where there's not much of a lesson really to be learned by the carriers. The problem in here and here is it takes two years from your order new capacity until it gets arrived, until that capacity arrives. That always set the stage for cycles. And, and this is a, a normal cyclical downturn. And that's going to be depressing the markets in 23 and 24. But I don't see that as a particularly unique situation. Right. And there's also, of course, uh, a lot of questions on the demand side. I mean, we saw this huge slide in, uh, in import demand. Uh, in the second half of last year. And I guess the question is, is to what extent is that, you know, sort of lost demand from a downturn? And to what extent was that demand pulled forward? Uh, and, you know, having an inventory bullwhip effect and warehouses filling up and then people stopping their orders. So, I mean, coming into this year, you know, everyone's been, you know, talking for, for ages about this imminent recession that we're going to have. Uh, it doesn't quite seem that bad yet. Um, you know, I guess who's to say what's going to happen, but, um, what, what are you hearing sentiment-wise about, you know, the prospects for demand? You know, perhaps it won't be as bad as we think. Perhaps the inventories will come down and they're going to need to load up again. And that with, uh, the, you know, the port congestion down, we could get, you know, back into some sort of sense of normalcy with the peak season. And, you know, maybe not a boom or anything, but, you know, perhaps a little bit more demand than people were thinking about a couple of months ago. I mean, what are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, uh, what I'm hearing out there for now, it is still majorly a an inventory correction. And if you look at the numbers, we, we still have a huge part of inventory we need to whittle down. Keep in mind, the supply chain was two months longer than normal uh, when it was bad last year, which also means that the, basically the inventories were two months larger than normal. That takes a while to whittle away. If you look at Asia to North American cargo, that dropped off a cliff in September. And that's based on origin, so unloading. So this really only impacts it on the import side once you get to November. The, the latest data from the U.S. authorities show that retailers and manufacturers, their inventories at least stopped growing in November. The wholesalers still had growing inventories in November, despite uh, demand dropping off a cliff two months earlier. So that tells us you still have this contraction in the supply chain that's overfeeding the inventories. We're not through that cycle yet. We're likely going to be in this cycle at least uh, for all of quarter one, 2023. Then we get to the point where once you're through an inventory correction, at some point in time, you're going to get a surge of cargo on the backside to get back up to normal operation. The large unknown is, is that going to happen immediately after whittling down the inventories? That would be a positive scenario then this would call for a strong peak season 23. You would see that come through in May, June, and July. But that hinges on the economy keep chugging along and customers continuing to buy. If you're heading into a deeper recession, that's some fear, you're not going to see that boom in peak season. 
then you're going to see 2023 be in the doldrums. You're not going to see that peak until the lead up to Chinese New Year 24. But that hinges on the strength of the economy and whether the consumers keep spending or they begin to retract. Yeah, and all this comes down to rates. I mean, we've seen the spot rates, you know, fall sharply from very, very high peaks. Um, contract rates have remained very high. Uh, yeah, there's a question as to, um, you know, if looking at the trans-Pacific contracts that were signed last year, there's a question, you know, different carriers are saying different things. Some are saying that they've, they've agreed to renegotiate those lowers in trades where the spot market is far below contract. And other carriers are, are, are giving a different story that they're holding. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, looking at the, you know, the contract has been particularly important to, uh, the profitability of the carriers. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think as far as how, how well the previous annual contracts have held and looking at the Trans-Pacific, uh, you know, what are you thinking about for this year? I mean, it was an early negotiation last year. Uh, is it going to be a late negotiation this year? It's going to be a late negotiation. And for now, I see a lot of customers out there. Sure, they're negotiating, but why would you want to sign in a market that is still going down? You're getting to levels where spot rates are now at pre below pre-pandemic levels. You're beginning to see contract rates even below the prevailing spot rates right now. So there is not a great deal of urgency on the side of the customers out there to sign contracts as rates are continuing to go down in an extremely weak market. And what we should not forget is, and that's not on the rational side, it's more on the emotional side, there is clearly a sentiment of payback on the side of a, a lot of the shippers out there looking at what they went through the last two years. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, uh, you know, this has been, uh, you know, it's, it continues to be an exciting time for, for container shipping. Um, you know, just to wrap up, um, what... What sort of lessons do you think the industry has learned and, and do you think they're going to do anything differently uh, as a result of what they experienced uh, during the boom? On the carrier side, um, I think the lessons that were to be learned, they had learned that already pre-pandemic. That was that you need to have a reasonable degree of consolidation so you can use, for example, blank sailings to avoid the excesses up and down in the market. And as I mentioned before, that doesn't preclude you might have a price war as you have right now every now and then, but it creates a more stable environment for the carriers. I think that lesson was learned already. If there's anybody out there to learn a lesson, I actually think we should look over on the shipper side instead. The lesson to be learned there is you cannot always take capacity for granted. That had been the case with perpetual overcapacity for 20 years. And then there was a harsh lesson to be learned that that's not always the case. And given the consolidation in the industry, this is something I hope the shippers have really learned over the last two years, that supply chain management is more about a procurement. It's not just a procurement function. There's always going to be space available. There's a risk element in there that that might actually not always be the case. Great. Well, you know, as always, I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, I think we've all learned a lot here and uh, it's going to be an exciting 2023. So uh, Lars, thanks again for joining us. Well, thanks for inviting me.